Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Real credit card questions require real people, someone who understands your issues and works to resolve them with you. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Can you name every quarterback the Browns have had since 1999? Couch, Detmer, Wynn, Gretkowski, Whedon, um, uh, Baker, Quinn, Anderson, Johnny, uh, Virgin win. Uh, it's 10. Okay. Um, oh, Ken Dorsey. Trent Dilfer. Kelly Holcomb. Jeff Garcia. Jeff Garcia. Jake DeLome. Jake DeLome. Seneca Wallace is 16. Jason Campbell. Jason Campbell. Oh, Connor Shaw. Charlie Fry. Charlie Fry. How many are there? Brian Hoyer. 20. There's 23. Uh, Cody Kessler. Sean Kaiser. Um, oh, well, Kevin, Hog- uh, Kevin Hogan. I think that's it. <laughs> Think that's it? I think that's it. That was not it. They missed Doug Peterson, Luke, and Josh McCown, Colt McCoy, Thad Lewis, Austin Davis, Robert Griffin the Third, and Tyrod Taylor. But who's counting? In the last 22 seasons for the Browns, 30 guys have started at quarterback, and only two of them started all 16 games. One was Tim Couch. I worked so hard and played through multiple injuries and and just was always trying to be out on the field with my guys and wanted to be out there no matter how bad we were in those early years. And the other was this guy. Progressive presents At Home with Baker Mayfield. Before Mayfield, the Browns had selected four quarterbacks in the first round. Couch, Quinn, Whedon, and Manziel. And not one of them had a winning record. Mayfield, however, was the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft. The prize at the bottom of the box for going 0-16. He didn't start the first two games his rookie season. But when Tyrod Taylor got injured in week three versus the Jets... The Baker era began. My dad still talks about that game. The electricity in the building. That's Andrew Siciliano. That the guy we took not only came off the bench and won the game and ended the streak, but that the feeling in the building of, holy shit, our guy's good. Like, we got the right bleeping guy. He didn't just look good. Like, He looked holy shit good that day. And I remember jumping up and down on the couch and I was hammered, I'll be honest with you. That that was one of those moments. Little trick play and a throw to Baker Mayfield to tie the game. Baker piloted a 14-point comeback. 
and the win was so improbable and the debut so memorable, it broke NFL Network. We always do well playing old games, and we always do well playing the, the big Monday, Thursday games, replaying them. That game was a huge Buffalo rating regardless live. But when they re-aired it Friday, the number it did the next day was through the roof. And two weeks later, they call me in and go, uh, yeah, we're moving things around now. And, and we're going to put a game in that slot. Now you're going to go to one o'clock. It's fine. Like our time change worked out in the long run. Great. But the impetus was Baker did such a big number. Baker's magic moment did more than draw fans. It ended Hugh Jackson's 19 game winless streak and it gave Browns fans hope. They cheered at progressive field during the Indians game. They celebrated in the streets just like they had when the Cavs won the championship. The Browns felt relevant for the first time in years. But it also set in motion one more blunder from the Browns that nearly derailed the whole thing. In trying to do everything they could for their young quarterback, Jimmy Haslam and company would hire a head coach who had no business leading a team. Even he knew it. You know, it takes some... uh... I won't use any bad language, Miss D, now, but it takes some um, guts to do what they did, all right? And I appreciate that. I won't let them down. And all you got to do is sit back and watch. Pull up a chair and watch Freddie Kitchens coach, y'all. We're headed to Brownstown. Okay. It's been 12 episodes since we talked about Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown. I'm going to unfortunately refresh your memory a bit on their tenure. As head coach, Hugh Jackson went 1-15 and 16, 0-16 and 16 and 17, and somehow got through half of the 2018 season at 2-5-1 and 1 before finally being fired. Sashi Brown, the VP of Football Operations, he leveraged Hugh's sucking for draft capital and what I have to point out is a masterful use of assets. Sashi Brown was great at what he did, okay? His role was to acquire those assets, to make trades, to make sure that the salary cap was in great shape and to have as many draft picks as you possibly could. That's Mary Kay Cabot. But then you need someone to allocate those resources in the best way possible. And that's the part that was missing. And I wrote this back then, and I believe it to this day. If Sashi Brown would have paired himself with an accomplished, experienced general manager it would have worked beautifully. Instead, Sashi was fired after the 2017 season and didn't get to spend the ridiculous 14-pick haul he had acquired. John Dorsey did. He was hired in 17 as GM, and in 18, he'd get to make Sashi's first overall, fourth overall, multiple second-rounders, and more draft picks that Sashi had left. Let's pour one out for Sashi Brown, y'all. That guy produced a team that sucked just so John Dorsey could make all his picks. So John Dorsey, he acquires Jarvis Landry in a trade. He drafts Denzel Ward. He drafts Nick Chubb. And the list kind of goes on and on. He drafted or acquired most of the really good players on this offense. The foundation was laid. The takeaway is that Dorsey put together a roster in 18 that really could win. The proof was when Hugh Jackson was fired after eight games. Interim coach Greg Williams took the same squad and went 5-3, and three, just to show you what's up. 
But Dorsey's biggest win was the quarterback that he had selected number one overall. That's what he valued, the accuracy. And he never wavered. Like, I, I, I grilled him on this on and off the record. That's my boy, Zach Jackson. He thought that Baker was the guy to ignite a room. And he thought that Baker was the guy to sit in the meeting room and take it to the field and process it. To John Dorsey, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, those guys in accuracy did not ever come in Baker's area code. He was sold on Baker on and off the field for a long, long time. Not everyone was sold on Mayfield, though. He was brash. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Yes, he is. Ooh. And he had some brushes with the law. He reminded some a little too much of Johnny Manziel. But Dane Brugler saw one major difference between Baker and that bust. His competitiveness, that's what separates, I think, him from like a Manziel, who off the field, you need to pull him in a little bit. But Baker had this competitive streak to him on the football field that I think was just a little bit different. Like it was important for him to win more so than have a good time. And Baker will still have a good time. He will throw him back. There's no question. But it is more important for him to win on the football field, to win over that locker room. I mean, he takes that part of it very, very seriously. The fake to hide. Mayfield, end zone, Lamprey, touchdown. Baker had an amazing rookie season, setting the rookie touchdown record and throwing for nearly 4,000 yards despite playing half the season under Hugh Jackson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So going into 19, we had a rising star quarterback. We had a GM who could make all the picks. And we had an opportunity to choose the perfect head coach to pair with them. What could go wrong? I didn't believe they would hire Freddie Kitchens. This team has been on a 30-year mission to find a quarterback. And it looked like they found the guy. And, you know, he and Baker are over on the sideline doing the flop-out dance, right? He and Baker are drawing up trick plays that work and deep shots that work. And Brashad Perriman, who had been an NFL bust, looked like a star wide receiver, right? And in the second half of that season, it just looked like the synergy, the chemistry, everything was working. I mean, Baker played incredible in that seven, eight game stretch, right? And so the thought was, we can't break this up. It's just Freddie was in no way equipped to be a head coach. Just from talking to people in the NFL, one said, you know, you would love to drink beers with Freddie Kitchens. I just don't think you would want him running your billion dollar company. All right. And another one said, I've known Freddie for a long time. And if you just sat there and said, Freddie, what, what's your 5, 10 and 25 year career plan? If, if at any point in that time he would have said NFL head coach, he said, it's your duty as a friend to stop him and say, no, Freddie, that's that's not for you. Let's let's talk about something else. Kitchens joined the Cowboys staff as a tight ends coach in 06. 
coached multiple position groups for the Cardinals from 2007 to 2017, became the Browns running back coach in 2018, their offensive coordinator after Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley were fired, and less than five months later, the Browns' new head coach. Woo! It was a wild choice. But was Jimmy Haslam's hire so wild it just might work? Mike Polk saw fans that freaking loved the hire. We got excited about Freddie Kitchens because we're like, oh, look, he and Baker are buddies. They're giving each other fist bumps and butt saws on the sideline. That'll, that means that he'll be an amazing coach. He's one of us. He uses charming axioms, you know. You can put a dollar sign on a $4 prostitute, but that don't make her Betty Davis. But I would say that we we see that as Browns fans and we're like, whoa, he, he, this guy's great. You know, So and then Jimmy wants to please us thinks that maybe this guy has something. They did have a connection, but he immediately was just like, oh, they like him? All right, you're the coach now. You're in charge. Football professionals, however, like Chris Rose, think. I have a couple of good friends in the Arizona Cardinals organization, and I called them and they said, yeah, Freddie Kitchens, great dude. Never thought of him as a head coach. Never thought of him. Not for a second. The thing they could agree on, though, Freddie Kitchens didn't act like a head coach. A bro, a good old Southern boy, a guy you could have a beer or several with. Sure, but not a head coach. Why then did they make this choice? They did it for Baker. Jim Donovan watched the Browns assemble all of Baker's confidants onto one staff. Even the coaching decision to hire Freddie Kitchens was based on, well, Baker likes Freddie. You know, all right, what about the coaching staff? Well, Baker likes that guy. I mean, there were guys that were brought in from Oklahoma as grad assistants. Mickey Tattleton's son was brought in because he was a friend of Baker's at Oklahoma. He liked him. And with that, the Browns got ready for their most anticipated season since the rebirth. For 2019, single game tickets set team records. A Sports Illustrated cover declaring the Browns are back, predicted a division crown, and teased a possible Super Bowl appearance. Idiots got regrettable tattoos. This one, a Browns fan with a Browns Super Bowl 54 championship tattoo. Pat McManaman didn't get inked, but he was amped. Remember the excitement before that season started? I mean, everybody thought they'd be great. They got Odell in the trade. It was through the roof. And then they got hit in the mouth by Tennessee in the opener. Thank you. Fires. Intercepted. And it's fired. Who else? Baker threw three picks and the Browns got whooped 43 to 13. The rest of the season was an exercise in frustration. That offense that Freddie and Baker were drawing up on the sidelines was inconsistent at best. It ranked 22nd in points per game, despite having Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb and David Njoku. Jim Donovan thought Kitchens was too much friend and not enough mentor for Baker. It just didn't work his second year. And I think Baker realized that by the end of the year, this was tough. And he got educated that you have to be coached. You still have to be coached. You don't know it all. It's the most difficult position in all of sports to play, certainly at the NFL level, to be the quarterback. And there's a lot of education. Nobody gets it that quickly. And you can't be running around with your head cut off because your head is going to get cut off if you do that in the NFL. Despite the offensive struggles, The team really did have a shot at making the playoffs until about week 11. We were four and six and playing the Steelers at home on Thursday night football. Roethlisberger was out with an injury, meaning rookie Mason Rudolph got the start. The Browns actually won the game 21 to seven, but at what cost? Here's a flag as 
Whoa, hello. Whoa. Mason Rudolph got into it. Get out of there. What in the world? Miles Garrett knocked off Mason Rudolph's helmet, grabbed it, and then swung it at the quarterback, almost committing murder on Thursday night football. It was legit horrifying to watch. The Browns defensive leader would be deservingly suspended for the rest of the season. I was able to talk to Miles Garrett in the aftermath of this Mason Rudolph situation. It was a moment in time where he basically snapped. And in the moment, I was shocked. I mean, I remember looking down there and thinking, wow, how is he ever going to recover from this? Then we come to find out later that at least in in the minds of many and in the minds of Miles, there was a mitigating factor possibly, okay? And that was uh, he felt that, that Mason Rudolph called him the N-word. And I think that changed the perception of Miles in the minds of a lot of people. I think that really transformed this incident into one where he had at least a reason for doing what he did other than just aggression. Mason Rudolph vehemently denies having said the N-word. I tried to get audio. I was told there was no audio. So we could never really prove that 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 was said, and we couldn't prove that it wasn't. The NFL, quote, didn't have the audio. With all the mic'd up players and bubble mics and field mics, nobody caught this on tape? Sure. Just like John Gruden was the only person who said anything bad in the 10,000 Washington football team emails. Yeah, got it. I mean, give me a break. There are microphones and pylons, microphones and helmets. There are microphones growing out of the grass for Thursday night games. But sure, no audio available. What was most clear from the incident was that Freddie had absolutely no control of anything that was happening with the team. This was best exemplified three weeks later when the Browns suffered a brutal loss in Pittsburgh. Freddie took a selfie with a fan wearing his shirt saying, Pittsburgh started it, alluding to Miles' suspension. Freddie had cemented his status as too much of a man of the people and not enough of a head coach. After the helmet fiasco, the Browns went 2-4 and four the rest of the way and finished an incredibly disappointing 6-10. and 10. Mary Kay Cabot and basically everyone knew Freddie Kitchens, pun intended, was fucking cooked. Freddie was a train wreck. I mean, you want to talk about a dark period in Cleveland Browns history? Train wreck. I have coaches that have told me that that was the most dysfunctional setup they've ever been a part of, ever. You had players yelling at coaches on the sidelines because it was so dysfunctional and discombobulated and so crazy. Baker Mayfield shouldn't even be evaluated on what happened in 2019. It was that bad. In response, Jimmy Haslam did something all too predictable for Browns fans. He fired Freddie. You hired the coach to take this guy that you anointed your savior and make him that. And then really, you seem like you were on the verge of losing him. The 2019 season was not all Freddie's fault by any means. But the one time the Browns pulled the plug early where you're like, yeah, you absolutely had to do that because Freddie was just not cut out to be a head coach. So pulling the plug after one season was a good thing this time. Well, that depends on who gets hired. Kitchens was out. John Dorsey was out. So Jimmy Haslam had to do the thing he'd never successfully done as an owner, hire a competent head coach. But sometimes even a blind squirrel finds a nut. It's a bit of a Russian roulette situation there, I feel. Like if you just keep firing that gun, eventually you're going to hit something. And that's what happened. He had how many coaches 
you've seen that lotto ball thing on on the Ohio lottery that comes on like during a commercial break during Wheel of Fortune or whatever. If you literally take every ball out of there, eventually, you know, the ball that you won is going the right one's going to come out. Just statistically, and I feel like that's what happened with Stefanski. So I can't be like, wow, what an eye for talent he has. Because it took him a lot of Freddie Kitchens to get to a Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, and a playoff run? It's beautiful. I'm not crying. You're crying. That's next time on Brownstown. Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott. Produced and written by Harry Swartow and Peter Moses. Edited by Isabel Jocelyn. Music by Brian Decker. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shwepa Surendran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a Blue Wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yells. See you next time.